Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're doing a rare Sunday show today. I'm glad it's really exciting to be here on the Sunday. I'm trying to push my buttons here. Don't you hate when you have too many buttons? Anyway, um, my name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And I have a great guest today, and it's a topic that interests me a lot: serial killers of the ancient world. And I know there's a lot of those out there, and I have a couple in my I have a couple in my mind. And uh, anyway, I'm the owner of the California Paranormal, California Haunts, wow, must be Sunday, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're 35 strong up and down the state of California, Washington, Oregon, and um, Nevada, and parts of Hawaii, okay? Um, you can reach us at www.californiahaunts.org, and our radio website is www.californiahaunts.com. So talk about confusion. Anyway, I'm glad to be here today, and like I said, we have a great guest, and I'm really excited to talk with this lady because I heard her on another program, and uh, I was really interested in what she has had to say, and hello, Stephanie Page Belson in our chat room. So without further ado, let me bring Debbie, Dr. Debbie Felton on. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me, Charlotte. I'm excited to have you on. Tell us about you. About me. Well, like you said, I'm a, I'm a professor. I, I, I'm doc, Dr. Felton. I'm meaning I have a PhD, not a medical degree. <laughs> um, so I, I teach at uh, I teach at the University of Massachusetts in uh, in Amherst. Sorry, I'm looking at a reverse image of myself here. It's confusing. <laughs> anyway, so I, I teach at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, and uh, my specialty is folklore in the ancient world, and especially is folklore of the supernatural and the eerie. Uh, and so a lot of the uh, the stories I look at have to do with, with ghosts and monsters, but also serial killers in the ancient world. Uh, I'm from California originally, which is why I was kind of excited to be coming on your show, California Haunts, although I'm from the southern part, Los Angeles, so not up in the, would you say Sacramento? Sacramento, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just thinking this morning, you know, my, my, my computer crashed twice this morning, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool as humans? We wake up in the morning, we're not feeling so good, or something goes wrong, so we can just plop back in bed and flip a switch, and then all of a sudden we're like, Woo! Everything's redone. Your body feels great. Just like a computer. Yeah. We're so, we're so reliant on them now, right? Yes. It'd be really, really great if your body could do that. You know, you just wake up and boom, you're all healthy again. and like Reset. <laughs> reset. So tell me about your book because this, this is I find this book fascinating. <laughs> well, it's, again, it's, I'm going to thank you for the shout out and here's what it looks like. Okay. So, um, yeah. So... Uh, it is just what it sounds like. It's about serial killers in classical myth and history. And basically, I just set out to investigate whether there was anything like that in the ancient world, because we tend to we tend to think of serial killers as sort of a mod, a phenomenon of, of modern society. Even if you go back to, say, Jack the Ripper, which is who people might think of as the earliest. Right. There are cases, you know, long before that. You, you probably know. But, you know, in the Middle Ages, there were some cases. Uh, uh, pre-modern Europe, right? I'm same same sort of idea. So I just thought, well, let's go farther back and uh, see if we can find anything from two and three thousand years ago. Because uh -huh. obviously oh. there, there weren't there weren't news reports and there's no forensic right. evidence. But are there stories? Well, one that comes to mind for me is Caligula. Okay, yeah. So Caligula is is a fascinating figure, but I actually don't put him down as a potential okay. serial killer type because he was just so all around insane. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of things I should probably say to start with. One is that I, I have no background in criminology or right. psychology or forensic anthropology or, or anything along those lines. Um, and so what, I, what I'm looking at is like the, the evidence from literature and uh, a little bit from material culture where there is any. And so Caligula, just according to the sources, and we have to keep in mind that the sources, the historical sources are 
pretty biased. Like somebody hates him and is writing his, you know, biography and right. that that's what you get is like one or two people's point of view. Uh, the poor guy can't defend himself, but it sounds like there was something seriously mentally wrong with Caligula. Yeah, issues. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't just a question of having people killed or, or killing them or allegedly wanting to make his horse a senator. Right. <laughs> there was just something uh, um, like uh, a little more serious going on. I mean, it, it wasn't restricted to what we would think of as maybe serial killing. He just was... I don't. Again, I don't want to apply labels that I'm not qualified to give. No, 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 that's fine. It comes yeah. across as, as as rather psychotic uh, in the sources. Uh, so, and that, then of course that's been filtered through, uh, you know, things like I Claudius <laughs> and various <laughs> movies that make him out to be even more crazy than he may may have been. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what about Richard the Third? Richard III is way past my my time period. Okay, okay. okay. Um, and then there is this, but but to you know, I can still sort of address it in terms of one of the problems or challenges that I had when trying to do all of this was to sort out. Well, you've got a leader who's abusing his power mm-hmm. and is paranoid about keeping his position of power, and therefore has any potential threats killed, versus someone who does resemble more like you know, at least our pop culture idea right. of a serial killer in terms of, you know, grew up, uh, you know, torturing small animals or setting fires, or, um, abusing substances, and then later on just sort of follows a pattern of, uh, you know, has a sort of a ritual method of killing people and maybe a signature or something, you know, something unique to how he or she does it. So Richard III uh, seems to fall more into the, I'm going to make sure and, you know, have everybody who could possibly be a threat to my power killed. Right. So it's, it's uh, that's not to say there isn't an element of serial killing in there. Um, but, you know, when you've got the, the princes and the, the tower, if I'm remembering the, the case, right. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a, it's a different kind of, of serial killing than than what I was looking at, I guess. Okay. Well, Wait, let's do this then. You tell me um, what, what, which one, you know, as you were writing the book, which one stood out the most to you? Uh, that's uh, that's a good question because there were, I think, rather than Caligula, I might uh, I might say uh, Nero. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, if you're looking for an emperor who sounds more like what we might think of as a serial killer, I would have to go with Nero. Again, keeping in mind that the the sources are heavily biased against him, mm-hmm. but with Nero, we get much more of the like he he's. Some people have have referred to him as like the Norman Bates of ancient Rome because this guy was brought up, you know, a- absent, uncaring father, absent mother. When she finally came back, he was trying to get her attention, and he she basically doesn't seem to have shown him any affection whatsoever. And uh, so he was raised by people who had no business raising children, like, I don't know, a a barber or a dancer or, you know, just various, various household servants. And um, so the way he's described, again, in these sources that we have to consider as biased, but still, this is the information we have. So, you know, he... um, he grew up with this in this sort of environment that we sometimes associate with 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 serial killers, not always, and certainly not everybody from that kind of a background turns into a serial mm-hmm. killer, right? But uh, but then it's you know the sources say, well, you know, as he got older, he got violent. He would uh, beat people up in the streets. Uh, he would start bar fights, crack a bench over somebody's head. He attacked women. Um, there was de- definitely some uh, descriptions of sexual perversity, like dressing up as an animal and like lunging at people's genitals, and just all kinds of weird Whoa. what we would con- what we would consider uh, oddities as he was growing up. And then, um, you know, once he gets to be emperor, he is still having like what we sort of were talking about with Richard the Third was that political. Mm-hmm threats to his political power, he mm-hmm. would have knocked off and, arra- you know, arranged to have them killed. But what uh, the interesting thing about Nero, again, is the descriptions that we have that sound a lot more like what we, we might expect. And he, you know, he had his wife killed, he eventually had his mother killed, he had, uh, Cla- you know, Emperor Claudius before him killed so that he could, so that Nero could uh, uh, be emperor. So there's there's just a lot of these 
a lot of the a lot more of the details that you might look for, I, I suppose. With uh, well, yeah, know. when you were talking about him going after the different things he went after, <laughs> um, you think about these these modern time guys like 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 Dahmer, or you think of you know killing animals and doing this other doing these other things that are a build up to to what they were you know what they would eventually become, and it sounds a lot like that. Yeah, no, it, it does. And that's what was that's what was striking about Nero. So when you when you asked me for like an example that stood out, Nero definitely right. came to mind. And there's uh there's another description. It's it's of a it's a sort it's a fictional case um for law students, you know, so it's sort of a rhetorical exercise, but the point is here's this fake law case and the students have to study it so that they can deal with a similar situation if it comes up. And so just because it's a fictional speech, it doesn't mean it's not based in an you know a, a possible scenario that was right. familiar to people. And so in that case, in that sort of case study, a fake fake case study, it's really similar to what you have with Nero, which is the guy um, is basically a serial mutilation murderer. Like he lies in wait for people on the roads, like highway murders. Right. Um, but the, the, the case describes how he grew up getting away with all sorts of crimes, um, like breaking and entering and eventually rape uh, until he finally could, was old enough up. to go out on his own. And um, it it also says things like, but he seemed like such a nice neighbor, <laughs> and that was that was striking for that reason. It's like it really just sounds so, you know so much like these. Until um, the smell started coming from underneath the house, yeah. <laughs> so you know, and they would find these mutilated bodies on the side of the road. Um, so again, it sounds uh, a lot like you know the modern highway serial killings I issue. Um, but the, in the case they caught this guy, and the other thing they say is, you know, if only we could give him multiple life sentences, but uh, Greek law didn't allow that kind of thing. Uh, so it was a, it was really very striking. That that came from I think the fourth fourth century CE. Um, so this so the time period I was dealing with was sort of uh, two thousand and three thousand years ago, twenty five hundred years ago, maybe at the at the most recent, which is why Richard the Third was a little bit a little bit later than what I normally right 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 right, right but right. but still you know I I did have to look at the, some of these cases like Jeffrey Dahmer and <laughs> John Wayne Gacy with you know speaking of the the bodies in the well the, sure to, you know to compare you know what was going right. on back then with with what these guys did now. Yeah, so and then Kemper's another one. I mean, he started as a kid torturing neighborhood cats and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah, they all have a certain pattern. Like the, even the FBI will say, okay, there's a certain pattern. You know, these guys have a certain build-up pattern. Some will mutilate animals yeah. when they're kids. You know, they start they, like you say, they start out robbing houses, and then slowly it builds up to rape, and then et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and there's substance abuse, like in in the case of antiquity alcohol. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, there are descriptions of oh, you know gets very drunk, you know, got very drunk sometimes. And uh, yeah, so it was, I think that's what surprised me was even though, you know, the, the field of psychology didn't exist back then and criminology didn't, you know, exist, people were still noting the the backgrounds that led to people, you know, being the way they, they were. Um, so like, we should have seen this coming, but he seemed so nice. When he's in public, he behaves <laughs> like a perfect citizen, but in private, he clearly has these depraved appetites. I mean, you know what <laughs> So, I can laugh now. It's not good to laugh at, but look at Ted Bundy. I mean, you know, it's like, oh yeah, wow, yeah. I mean, and he was, you know, it's a very unusual case in that. Right, uh, right, 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 right. So, how did you do this research? How much, how much research went into this? Because you had to start somewhere. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think. Um, it's, it's it's an interesting or, or maybe tough question for me in terms of uh, how long ago I started uh, noticing this sort of thing because in terms of research I really um, you know I I, I teach full time as a university uh -huh. professor teach full time have have the usual committee work and advising duties and all that so um, really it would be in the summers when I would start looking into some of this so it was over the course of of, of several summers but it started with uh, you know just reading. I mean, because I've read a lot of, you know, I teach mythology, I've read a lot of the ancient sources for other reasons. Um, and then I was reading a story and it suddenly struck me, well, 
this actually sounds a lot like serial killings. And I don't know if it's because I was, you know, watching Dexter at the time or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but it suddenly, the question occurred to me of, well, do we have any evidence for serial killers in the ancient world? And again, you know, it's not, it's not uh, absolute evidence. It's, it's, it's a theory, it's speculation. And it, but it's like, look, there, there's, there are these descriptions that sound so much like some of the modern ones. Uh, but yeah, it took a lot of time. I read across a, a long, you know, a long chronological period and a bunch of different uh, authors, um, historians, but also also mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, like, you know, there was a reconsideration of um, monsters as stories about monsters as well, were those describing serial killers, for example. So, so John Douglas, uh, who was with the FBI and wrote Mindhunter, which has also been turned into a series now, mm-hmm. I think two seasons so far. So one of the things that John Douglas speculated about was these stories from early modern Europe where you've got the werewolves and the vampires, you know, are the, so he speculated were these ways of explaining serial mutilation murders because people just didn't want to think that a fellow human being could do something so awful. Right. And I mean, okay, sure, there probably were, I mean, not probably. There were definitely packs of wolves, you know, roaming in the forests of of Europe and still are, you know. And so I'm sure some of the, the the mutilation mutilated bodies they found were actually killed by by wolves. But you know, there are other types of of mutilation and killing that clearly aren't done by animals. And so John Douglas was was speculating. Well, could these relate somehow to? to uh, what we would consider serial mutilation murders. And so I started thinking about that for antiquity also. Uh, Like, are there patterns like that? And I mean, the monsters in classical myth represent so many different things, but you can speculate that some of these stories also bring in elements that we would think of as relating to serial killing. Mm -hmm. So this isn't to say that they, they were serial killings in antiquity, but it's sort of like the descriptions make it sound like the ancient Greeks and Romans recognized serial killing when they saw it. They just didn't have the the phrase for it. Because, I mean, the phrase serial killing is still only a few decades old. It's not like Jack the Ripper was called a serial killer. That phrase didn't uh, uh, didn't come up until, like, the 80s or something, I think, actually. Was poison a popular way to kill people back then? Yeah, of course, definitely. Um, and so I think I have a, I have a whole chapter in there about poisoning. Poison is like a really sort of convenient and uh, difficult to trace method because back then, they you know they had no way to to figure out like uh, was it poison that killed these people and if it was I mean they you know in some cases it was obvious depending on the symptoms, but uh, who administered it? Where did they get it? So it was a lot harder to pin poisoning on particular people. Uh, and then poisoning sort of, you know, fell out of uh, uh, popularity once people were able to trace poisons a lot more easily, you know, starting around uh, maybe 100 years ago or so. Uh, so, so yeah, you could recognize symptoms of, of poisoning, but telling what kind and tracing it back to, to who is, uh, to whom is sometimes difficult. But um, yeah, so especially in ancient Rome, there are a lot of cases of what we would consider mass poisoning, um, but also serial poisoning. So uh, again, a lot of the times having to do with jostling for political power. Mm -hmm. So like a woman, like her various family members, you know, mysteriously died, her, you know, husband, uh, new husband, and it it just sort of all seemed like all these people died and oh, look, her son is now in the position of power. (laughs) So she was accused of poisoning a bunch of people to get her son into, into a position of power. And there are several uh, cases like that, and there's also um, one of the uh, one of the few characters from classical antiquity that usually makes it into like these encyclopedias of serial killing uh, is Locusta of Gaul. Uh, so this woman who was such a famous poisoner, uh, she was really an assassin for hire, right? So she really knew her poisons, and she could find things that wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be able to taste in in your food and all that. So Locusta, uh, this very, you know, adept and eventually famous poisoner, even in her own time, supplied poisons to people like Nero and Nero's mother Agrippina so that they they could poison the Emperor Claudius. Uh, Again, according to the stories uh, that that we have, the the versions Mm -hmm. 
history that we have. So Locusta is an interesting character. Do we call her a serial killer when she was an assassin for hire? It's a tough one. I mean, the reason that she's included in encyclopedias of serial killing is, is simply because she's one of the few recognizable people from antiquity that did that for a living and is known to have, if not actually poisoned a lot of people herself, to have, have at least supplied the poison for, for other people. So she is an interesting character. I was thinking about that, um, uh, the the TV series Spartacus. I haven't and, seen that. And the wife on there uh, of the wannabe ruler, because <laughs> he, <laughs> he he wanted to be, you know, he was just one of these guys that 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 owned a you know sparring thing, and um, she would poison people that got in her way, <laughs> or she would poison people because she didn't like them. And yeah, I was thinking I... when you were talking about on the other show when you were talking about this particular woman. I was thinking maybe it was based on that, that, that they had done their research and, and, you know, and made her like that. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, we could probably Google it and see, did they have Locust of Gaul in mind when they had this this character on the show do that? And, you know, if you look back, I mean, this is these are all old references, but if you right. look back at something like Robert Graves' I, Claudius, he's got Livia, the wife of the Emperor Augustus, you know, basically killing people, you know, many, many people over the course of decades to to help maintain stability in this in the state of Rome, basically. And like on her deathbed, she's all like, oh, I've done bad things. Um, but there's there's actually nothing in the historical sources that suggests that Livia actually killed people. Um, mm -hmm. just, just that she had a lot of influence, but but it's sort of like, well, did Robert Graves have Locusta of Gaul partially in mind when he attributed a lot of this to, to Livia um, herself, but I actually haven't seen the show in such a long time. I don't remember if Locusta was a character in it. I, I should go back and check. Actually, um, to be honest, her name was Lucretia in the show. So, I mean, it's real oh. close. The, mm -hmm. Real close to name. That's why I was thinking about that. Yeah, yeah ancient... no, I, I haven't seen it in decades. Yeah. Like, yeah. Was... What about ancient Greece? So, for ancient Greece... Um, the stories are a lot more uh, from mythology than from history. Uh -huh. uh, so, and we have, there are things like, not so much serial killing, but mass, mass murders, like Odysseus slaying, you know, 107 or so suitors of his wife Penelope when, when he finally gets home. Uh, you know, so obviously he's, he's positioned as the hero because they were all violating his household and trying to violate his wife and all that. But, uh, but still, it's like it, it, it causes problems. I mean, the families of those young men all want revenge on Odysseus and the goddess Athena has to step in and like almost literally as a dea ex machina um, and, and put a stop to, to that. But there are other cases from myths of ancient Greece where you've got these, uh, these young women who are supposed to be married off, but their fathers like don't want them to. Mm -hmm. So the fathers pose all of these challenges for the suitors. And if the suitors don't win the foot race or solve the riddle, then they're executed. It, they don't just like go away in disgrace. The the king's like, you either do this or you forfeit your life. Uh, so there's some, you know, sort of veiled aspects of serial killing in stories like those. Uh, clearly, this, the stories have other points. Like you're getting rid of your uh, your your neighboring threats, the, the the powerful people in the neighboring countries who want to marry into your family, but you don't want. I mean, there's all sorts of political things involved there as well. But these stories involve you know cutting off the the young men's heads and putting them on pikes as right. warnings to to other suitors. And those aren't just uh, it's not just unique to ancient Greece. I mean, stories like that show up in all across uh, Eurasia uh, from from a long time ago. Uh, and then there then there are creatures like the Sphinx. So I was mentioning monsters before. So the Sphinx that we associate with uh, Oedipus and the, the riddle of the Sphinx. Well, she was associated with the murders of of young men on a regular basis, and in a you know in, in a fairly specific region, you know, the region around the city of Thebes. Um, and, uh, you know, in some versions of the story, she, she's known to suffocate them. Uh, like, like in, and, in, and there's an erotic element to a lot of it, too. If you look at some of the ancient pictures of the Sphinx, she's like, it looks practically like she's, she's having sex with the young men. Um, so there's this kind of weirdness going on with the Sphinx where you've got... Uh, 
you know, a consistent kind of victim and an erotic element and issues of power and solving riddles uh, that, uh, you know, are, again, are elements that you see later on in, in some serial killings. So this isn't to say that the ancient Greeks based the Sphinx on, you know, serial killings, right. but it's just interesting to notice the elements that show up that early that we later on uh, do find much more frequently associated with with real serial killings that we know of. And, and uh, some of the more, maybe, I don't know if realistic is the right word, but if you think of the story of the hero Theseus, who uh, encountered criminals, human criminals like Procrustes. So Pro this is another sort of a highway killer. Uh, Procrust Procrustes, can you say his name right all the time? Procrustes um, uh, would lure travelers to his home. Like, the, you know, there, there weren't like, you know, police, there weren't hotels, like, you know, along the deserted roads in some places, but he had this, you know, his house was just off the, off the side of the road there. And he would be on the lookout for, you know, vulnerable travelers, you know, uh, maybe just an individual young man traveling by himself uh, and say, Hey, I've got this house, you know, give me a, you know, a couple of drachmas and I will, you can spend the night. And then Procrustes was famous for, uh, you know, having a bed that he his guests had to fit in. And if they were too tall for the bed, he would saw off their limbs so that they could fit. <laughs> and if they were too short, uh, he would stretch them, like hammer out their limbs. And so Procrustes basically had a murder kit, right? So he has these, you know, he had a saw and he had a hammer and he had, um, you know, he was binding them to the bed. And so you've got this, you know, this, this element of the bed and like, you know, maybe some subtext of sexuality going on there. And you have a consistent, you know, method of luring people in and you have a murder kit. Uh, so, you know, again, the elements are there, uh, which suggests that the Greeks had a concept of serial killing, uh, even if, again, they didn't have a specific phrase for it, um, you know, and, and even if we don't have evidence of real life, you know, right. examples other than the few descriptions that we have that tend to characterize people as serial killers rather than saying they actually were somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. Well, when you think about it, I just was thinking when you were talking, you think about a person like Charles Manson, you know, getting people to kill for him yeah. and then going back to Greek mythology and maybe that's where they came up with the concept of Ares, you know, maybe whoever this person was, had people killing for him. Yeah, so like the god, the god of war. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that this is a really, it's a really interesting thing to consider because, well, first of all, Charles Manson uh, did actually kill a couple of people himself. Uh -huh. That just wasn't like in the forefront of anybody's right. knowledge because the, the, uh, the spree killings by the girls that he, by, well, there were a couple of men in there too, but, but yeah, Charles Manson was better known as an influencer. Uh, and as sort of a cult leader. And uh, so then you look at a, at a character like Ares uh, or, uh, you know, from Greek myth, then who was known as Mars right. by the Romans. And is he, you know, a really abstract, it, it, does he stand for the abstract concept of war and violence? Because he is just known as bloodthirsty and his uh, his children are, are, are Phobos and Demos, you know, it's like fear and, and terror, uh, fear and, fear and uh, dread, or, you know, just so the concepts associated with him are all sort of abstract. But is there also this idea that he, you know, there were characters like that who were influencers who could get other people to kill for them? Uh, and that's, that's different still from, say, hiring somebody like Lacusta. Mm -hmm. So, um, they, I, what I would say about that is I think there are a lot more stories out there because mm -hmm. it's not as if I was able to cover everything and find right. everything. But I, my guess would be that, that yes, there are more stories of influencers out there uh, in classical antiquity with Ares being sort of not just an abstract concept representing war, but also mm -hmm. an indication that people can, uh, you know, get other people to do things for them, like, like you're saying, like Charles Manson did. Um, although I can't, I can't off the top of my head think of anything, you know, really similar to, to Charles right. Manson. In right, that right, right. Right. 
but later on, I mean, in, you know, again, in early European history, you've got sort of these cannibal cults like uh, Sonny Bean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so he and his whole family would, would just go kill travelers, bring him back. That was their, that was their food. <laughs> so he, this, this patriarch of that family got his family members to go out and uh, he probably did it himself as well. But the idea was that he was this patriarchal figure who would get, you know, his wife and kids and cousins and whoever to go out and just become this huge cannibal clan. Uh, yeah. So that was, there were, there were a few, uh, like that through, uh, scattered out throughout history as well. Um, I was thinking too, when you think about like, <clears throat> you were talking about heads on, you know, heads on, pe- you know, heads on, on the, uh, pikes. Yeah. And you wonder about those those guys that gave the order, you know, even because I mean, that, people can get drunk with that kind of thing and get really get into it. And so you wonder about a lot of those Roman generals or, you know, down along the line that 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 love doing that stuff. Because I mean, people can't like I said, people get to the point where you like a police officer, you get to the point you see so much yuck out there that you get to the point where you're immune to it. So there might be a point where they're having a grand old time watch, you know, like, like let's say a peasant spits on him or something when, when they're marching or whatever. And so it, for every peasant he wants, you know, every town they take on, he's going to make sure they have them on pikes yeah. because he gets off on it. <laughs> well, and wanting to set examples, but I mean, the, you're bringing up a good point, which is because it, it's really important for us to keep in mind that we're talking about cultures where you know, violence was much more a part of everyday life. Um, people fought and died in, in wars much closer to home in some cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, also far away. But there weren't hospitals either. People would die at home. Sometimes they would die gruesomely. Um, murders would happen in your village. Uh, and uh, I mean, not not that murder was, was rampant. I mean, the ancient Greeks in particular uh, started uh, making homicide laws very early and even mm-hmm distinguishing levels of intent. Uh, so Greek, Greek uh, especially ancient Athens, was they had this whole law code set up basically by the 5th century and they kept refining it uh, for a degree, you know, what are the degrees of intent and, uh, you know, which is what is accidental and, oh, this roof tile fell off a roof and well, killed somebody. Well, so we put the roof tile on trial so that the family can just have some closure and right. the roof tile would then be punished and, like, uh, the punishment would be, like, exile into the neighboring county so they would just throw it over the borderline <laughs> something like it's that not funny um, but it is in a twisted sort of way yeah i mean the point the point was to recognize the harm that had been done um but yeah so like like you said it was just a lot more common so people um well i, I don't want to say they got used to it necessarily but it was uh it wasn't as m- most of us i think uh, or so many of us are removed from everyday gore Right. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, so it sounds um, a lot uh, more horrific to us than maybe they would have considered it in circumstance in certain circumstances back then. Back then, but again, when you've got these, you know, these these authors like Tacitus and Suetonius describing in really kind of horrific terms how people like Caligula and Nero handled themselves, uh, there's a certain sensational, sensationalistic aspect to that. So it can't, it really can't have been that acceptable or, or normal to do a lot of the things that they did, or they wouldn't have come down, you know, to us as notorious as they, as they are. Uh, so, so apparently some of the things that Caligula and Nero did were shocking enough, um, mm-hmm. even if the authors then exaggerated them, um, and included rumors about about them. Uh, clearly, there there were some very uh, disturbing elements to these uh, historical figures' behavior. But isn't that the point when when somebody's in a position of authority, like they were, to mm-hmm. keep the people in line? Mm-hmm. You're going to want stories like that spread about you because that way the people won't be you know prone to mess with you. Yeah, I mean, it's a question of do you want to rule through fear or do you want to rule by having people respect you? And so many leaders seem to choose fear uh, instead of, of respect. And that's obviously still the, still the case, uh, you know, today today with, with, with some people um, that I, I won't get into. But, right, right, right. But, but, but yeah, I know it's an interesting choice. Um, you know, do you want to rule by fear? Or do you want to rule by being an effective leader and having people respect you and agree with your policies or just afraid that they're going to be crushed by you, you know, uh, lose their jobs? Um, uh, have, have be slandered, et cetera, lose their lives in, in the cases in, in antiquity. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing with the ancient Romans. I mean, you were damned if you did. I can't say that word. I'm sorry. Beep. Okay. You were, <laughs> you know, you were, um, you were in a, a situation where if you did wrong, it was either you were, you were going to end up on a, you know, crucified on a cross or you were going to end up with your head on a pike. So, I mean, yeah. the alternatives weren't that great. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely, but there was still definitely like surreptitious poisoning going on too. Or like, flogging oh, or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever they could dream up to torture. Died. Yeah, like, you know, you have these characters mysteriously dying in their own houses. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, often from poisoning uh, that you've paid somebody to, to poison them too. So, I mean, I think, you know, it, it, the characterization of the Roman imperial family as kind of nuts is, you know, it's it's there for a reason. There was a lot of intrigue. There was a lot of jostling for power that often involved killing off your rivals and anybody who you thought might be a, a threat. Uh, so like Nero, for example, uh, Nero and his mother Agrippina, they, they didn't just kill Claudius. Um, they poisoned... Um, uh, Britannicus, an adoptive mm -hmm. son who who uh, was much more popular than Nero and might have been next in line, uh, but they wanted to get him out of the way, so they arranged for Lacusta to uh, to poison him also. And apparently, it was quite shocking. He just like started having a seizure of some sort at the dinner table, and all the guests are just like jumping up out of their seats in horror. And Nero's, Nero's like calmly eating and going like, "Oh yeah, he has these seizures sometimes." <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I think he had the body cremated very quickly so that he sure. didn't do any sort of an autopsy at all. Um, yeah, so again, not not funny, but sort of funny in the... In it is sort of funny to twist it sort of way, you know. Just like I was just thinking, too, you know, you look at... The, I don't, don't want to get in trouble with the royal family. But you look at the royal family of today and you look back at the Romans... Yeah, that were in power, and, and what's the main thing going on is they want to keep the bloodline going. Yeah, and so a lot of them were inbreeds. So a lot of them did have you know mental issues going on because they were inbreeds. So it makes it it makes history. I wish I would have thought of that as a topic to look up myself to write a book because I mean this this is fascinating. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a lot of inbreeding going on, obviously, like you say, the, with the ancient Romans, too. And yeah. there, are, there are constantly conspiracy theories. I mean, I, you know, I, not, I, I don't want to go too far in this direction, but I was just sure. thinking of, you know, when Princess Diana was killed in the car crash, there were all these conspiracy theories about how the royal family wanted her out of the way because she was a troublemaker and she wasn't conforming to what they wanted oh her to do. And... Uh, and she was more popular than than they were, and all that. Right. So conspiracy theories uh, floating around um, about how how that happened, rather than just being a car crash from the paparazzi and everybody speeding too fast. And yeah, so yeah, so there, you basically you still have these similar uh, sentiments and thoughts about uh, how these families want to hold on to power and who they want in the family to have the power and uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. So what stands out to you as, like you say, poisoning is one of the main things that stands out to you from, you know, for the serial killers. What other type of, I mean, I know we talked about, you know, impaling heads in this. What other type of thing do you think was going on that, that people may not realize? Oh, you mean in terms of how serial yes. killings were, were done yes. in antiquity? Yes. Um, well, I think Procrustes was a, was a good example. I mean, because there, there is this sort of um, theme running through a lot of the examples from antiquity that these happen um, by the side of the road. I mean, like on highways, because people are much more vulnerable when they're out when they're outside of the cities, they're much more vulnerable. And so that that sort of uh, law that 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 sample law case that I was telling you about that that was. Um, a particularly good example because of the amount of detail in there about the guy's, you know, childhood and upbringing, how he progressed from lesser crimes to greater ones, which is actually a phrase that's that's actually a sentence in in this in this uh, in the story. Um, and so he was a highway killer as well. But he uh, there's a description there of, of his victims uh, begging for mercy and uh, how he would sort of tease them and make them think maybe they could let maybe he would let them go if he would just rob them. But but there was this, this stress uh, in that story and in, in uh, like Procrustes, for example, and a few others that I could, could mention um, and, and might if I have time, um, that uh, these, 
these are sadistic killings that they were they, they were supposedly highway robbers, but they weren't that interested in the money or they would take the money, but then they would, you know, torture their victims and chop them up and mutilate their bodies. Um, so it wasn't just about the money. Uh, and so Procrustes was one example, but uh, Theseus, the hero Theseus ran into a, several others uh, along similar lines uh, who had their own unique methods of killing people. Um, there was a guy, Periphetes, who would kill people with his club, but it was the same sort of thing. It would be travelers passing by. And um, hero Heracles, too, on his travels, he would encounter these basically human criminals who had specific methods of, oh, I'm going to make everybody who passes by my territory uh, have a wrestling match with me. And I I'm, know I'm, I'm going to win because I'm just better at it. And so he would force people to wrestle with him. And he would, of course, kill them all until Heracles came along and beat him at it. So there are, in myth especially, a, a lot of these stories of human criminals who are generically called robbers, but who are clearly not just trying to rob people. They have some sadistic tendencies and power issues, like power control sorts of serial killers who, who want to assert their authority over other people. It's not just about the money. Uh, it's not just for profit. Um, and it's you know, it's not just for a political position. So there are quite a few of those um, stories floating around. So it's not just the Roman family and it's not just monsters like the, right. uh, the Sphinx, you know. In right, the right, 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 right. Human um, characters. Do you think it's because people were so poor back then? Poor? Um, uh, okay, I mean, uh, we think of them as poor, but I mean, you know, in, in their world, maybe these, maybe the ones they, you know, maybe these people were just, in, in their own eyes, their version of poor. You know what I mean? Because we have our version of poor where we look at how they were living and we're like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> yeah, what would be the relation to uh, to serial killing that you're wondering about? There? Yeah, I mean, yeah, because they're trying to to get even with the fact that they don't have as much as everybody else, blah, blah, oh, blah. Um, I, that's, you know, that's an interesting question, too, because the travelers wouldn't necessarily be rich themselves. Right. In fact, if people were traveling along the roads, instead of taking a ship, it usually meant that they, that they weren't as well off because traveling by ship would be a lot more convenient, especially the road that Theseus was taking, for example. Mm -hmm. So you, you could, um, let me see if I can sort of do this because it's a reverse image here. But sure. basically, you know, you've got, you've got uh, where Theseus was from and then you've got, uh, I gotta go this way. Okay, and then, and then it sort of goes, the land route goes around like that. But if you were rich enough, you could just take a, sh a ship that goes like straight up. Um, but you needed, it was, it cost a lot more to take the ship. So people who were traveling these land routes were generally not super rich anyway. Um, and if it was a lone traveler wa walking by foot, it, it, right. if, if you weren't on horseback, that meant you also weren't as rich, which again suggests that the motive wasn't so much robbery, robbery as, um, as something more sadistic. But also a lot of these uh, characters are kind of stand-ins for oh, well, this, this story is being told from the Athenian point of view, and they really hated their neighbors, the Eleusinians. So let's make the, the leader of the Eleusinians, you know, one of these criminals mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and paint him as a, you know, as a sadistic murderer. So there was a political element in that sense, uh, you know, and, and if the story were told from the Eleusinian point of view, it would be Theseus that is the, the criminal because he came along and killed our guy. Uh, so... Uh, so there are those sort of hidden political elements to some of those as well. But the stories focus more on the killings, which is one of the things that makes them so interesting. So there is a, another guy, uh, Sinus or Sinus, who, I'll just call him Sinus. Um, so he was the one who would uh, 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 capture travelers and uh, tie them to a tree and then, uh, or two trees. And then when he would let the tree go, they'd be split in half, or maybe it would just be one tree and then the person would be flung, you know, into the air and onto the ground and die. And uh, uh, yeah, so I hope I'm not mixing up the characters here, but because the, there were so many of them actually. Yeah. There were there were a couple, you know, were about a dozen or, or more of, of these characters who each had their own unique method of killing travelers passing by. Um, there was another one who would, uh, uh, I think this is the Heracles story, he would bash his head against travelers' heads. So it was like, whose skull is harder, basically? Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, you know, so like you're like you're gonna headbutt somebody to death. It's just very odd. Like, how are you not gonna get there? There's no mention of helmets. Like, it's not like this guy had a helmet and the travelers didn't. It was just bashing his skull <laughs> against somebody else's skull. So uh, yeah, there's some uh, really, you know. Uh, interesting elements to these stories and then people speculate well was that guy just modeled after mountain goats in the region who would butt <laughs> you know, right the speculation alone is is kind of worth the price of, of admission to uh, some of these myths uh like where did they come from and what observations might people have been making that led to them characterizing these people as doing these things so it's a lot of fun now what do you think of the um my opinion um when I think about back going back to ancient Rome, do you think that some of that sadism that these guys had would be to you know to the extent of the glad uh, of the gladiator fights where they enjoyed it? So these emperors, you know, would get these people and enjoy it so much because they just want to throw people in there and watch watch them deal with the lions and everything. <laughs> so the, there's, I think, there's a popular misconception about the nature of ancient gladiatorial shows. Okay. Um, and again, that may have come through the media sure. in, in terms of, oh, we want to watch people killing each other. But in fact, it was probably more like, uh, what would be a good equivalent, MMA, like it's staged. Sure. To a certain extent, it's staged and you've got these popular gladiators and they're fighting other other human. A lot of the time they're fighting other other gladiators and the gladiators themselves would be, you know, people captured in war. So they'd be they'd be slaves. They'd be foreigners. On rare occasions, they might be uh, criminals, uh, but you're not, it, it was extremely rare, um, if, if at all, to have like an actual citizen in there, uh, again, unless maybe it was a, a criminal being punished. But they didn't usually, like, the, the level of, of gore and of killing has been greatly exaggerated. But yes, sometimes they would put them in there with, with wild animals. Um, but in general, the gladiators, uh, they, they would have different weapons. There were different types of gladiators that used different kinds of weapons. So like a sword or a spear or a net, you know. And, you know, it was more often the animals that ended up uh, dead than, than the gladiators. And at the same time, given who the gladiators were, when the crowd is cheering and maybe hoping that somebody will get hurt, because they are uh, foreigners or criminals, the crowd is like, well, there's a certain sense of, of justice is being done by having these people in there. So there were different levels in these gladiatorial shows in terms of it's kind of staged and we want to make sure the popular guy wins. Um, and we don't want to see him killed. That would be really disappointing because we'd like to come and see him fight. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's been filtered through too much Hollywood <laughs> in terms of uh, what was really going on uh, with ancient gladiatorial shows there. Um, yeah. Who do you think is the most prolific killer of the ancient world? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a really good question because I have, I've never thought about that before. The most prolific killer uh, in terms of serial killing rather than, um, say, I mean, because you got somebody like the Emperor Tiberius okay. who um, – was emperor for a really long time and got a lot of political rivals out of the way, like like probably hundreds over the year, over the decades, but felt bad about it <laughs> because he's like, I don't want to kill all of these. I don't want to have them all killed, but my power is in jeopardy if I don't. So um, in terms of a prolific serial killer, it's really hard to say because we don't, uh, especially in some of the mythical, mythological stories, we don't get the numbers. We don't know how many people Procrustes had already right. Um, we do have these um, examples of mass poisonings, uh, at least according to the ancient authors like, like Livy. Oh, hundreds of people died of poisoning in this one conspiracy. Um, but that's not the same as serial killing. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, but you, but uh, and then there are other really difficult to disentangle aspects like if there were routine, like if there was somebody, you know, if there was a serial killer like Jeff the Ripper who went after prostitutes, we wouldn't even know because nobody cared what was happening to the lower classes in the slums of ancient Rome. Um, so the, the sources we have are all upper class. They're all about imperial, you know, the imperial family. And, you know, it seems quite likely that crime rates were very high in the slums, and that there may well have been, uh, you know, serial killing of certain types of, of people, possibly even some of the aristocrats, like like Nero, for example. Uh, this one of the stories describes that he would go off, go to places and and 
purposely, you know, beat up people, you know, on their way home from dinner, that sort of thing, uh, from dinner in a tavern. So we just don't know what was going on in the less affluent areas of, of Rome um, and the lower classes in, in Roman life in general, as far as uh, homicide rates and types mm -hmm. of homicides. So, yeah, I'd be surprised if there weren't something like that, like Jack, right. you know, back way back then. Now, going back to my other question about, you know, um, the guys that, that, that were killing, because I thought you know, maybe there, there was some financial situation going on. I was thinking of people like in wagons that might have supplies, that, you know, that they took out so, that, so they could gather up the supplies like wheat or whatever they had. Yeah. Um, you know, my guess is that there was, uh, there were, sometimes what you'd have are bands of highway robbers, like working mm -hmm. together. And they would, uh, for the most part, just rob. So if there, if there were like, if there was a family traveling together with some horses and supplies, they could be set upon by a band of robbers. Women were told to not wear flashy jewelry, you know, to hide it if they were traveling with it. Uh, you know, again, if they, if they were taking these, these routes, because uh, sometimes, yeah, if you had a lot of things to bring with you or uh, a big retinue, you, maybe you were or weren't going by ship. Certainly it was an issue on the roads, especially when you've got an empire as vast as the Romans and not enough army to, I mean, to act as a police force to, uh, to monitor the areas. So highway bandits were kind of a plague in the Roman Empire. And we do have these, these mentions of women don't wear your, your jewelry and uh, bands of robbers working together. So it's a little different from this from serial killing because they're not individuals and they're not necessarily killing the people that they're robbing. I mean, sure they did in some instances, especially if people put up a fight, but the element of um, sadism or the underlying subtext of, of of uh, sexual deviance, if if you want to call it that, is is not really present in a lot of those. Not that you, not that that is present in every you know case of serial killing either. But the highway bandits are uh, usually worked differently. And and yes, they absolutely would attack supply <laughs> supply wagons uh, and and uh, take what they could get. Maybe even run off the horse, you know, take the horses too. Um, but not necessarily leave a pile of bodies behind because even in ancient Rome, that would still be a worse crime. Like, you know, robbing is one thing, but homicide has right. a different penalty for it. If you get caught. Right. Makes you wonder because you know, the whole, um, you know, cut your ear off because you hear about those, you know, you do this, they're going to cut your hand off from stealing. Uh, you know, you, you listen in on somebody, they're going to cut your ear off. Yeah. So it makes you wonder when these people were caught for doing stuff like that, what the punishment was. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's sort of an eye for eye thing that maybe was more in the ancient Near East than mm -hmm. in, say, Greece and Rome. Uh, people would get thrown in, in, in jail. They're, they definitely had jails and guards, um, even if they didn't have police for the, some. They didn't really have, like I say, they didn't really have police forces. Right. Um, but the Romans did have army troops patrolling the roads. And uh, people could be thrown in uh, in prison. Um, they could be put on a workforce, uh, f for example. They, you know, depending on how bad it was, maybe the Romans would crucify them. Um, and again, the the levels of punishment for certain crimes were very different in terms of where in the ancient world you were and when. So ancient Athens had, you know, several different homicide courts for different types of homicide, including the one I mentioned where like objects could be put on trial um, and uh, involuntary killings versus, you know, intentionally planned killings. Um, whereas Rome, uh, I, again, it was a little less coherent in some ways. It was a very broad empire and kind of depended where you were and who the governor of the province was and uh, what they wanted to do with you um, and what they thought they could get out of it too, in some cases. Um, you know, so there were bribes being exchanged, deals being made, whereas the um, uh, ancient Greece was more divided into like separate regions, like the area that Athens was in and the area that Sparta was in in the south. They'd all have their own law codes. And, you know, they might take similar approaches, but, you know, if if you did something in Sparta, the punishment wouldn't necessarily be the same as, as if you had done it in, in Athens. Okay. Um, is it safe to say that, um, in your opinion, I'm saying opinion because we're saying alleged because we don't know what actually went down. Yeah. But is it safe to say that some of these legendary figures in, in, in Greek mythology were serial killers? You know, when you think about people like Bacchus or in people, you know, and you know, gods like bad people, gods like Bacchus and, and the different darker gods. 
well, um, on what term, what is the impression that you're having of, of Bacchus or Dionysus? Because he's really, um, he's another figure that maybe like filtered through the media has been represented highly inaccurately these mm -hmm. days. Tell me, tell me what you're, what you're thinking about him. Well, I'm not saying he killed people. I'm just saying because he was more like, I kind of painted myself in a corner here because no, no, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, to do that. I was just wondering if you had something like something specific that he no, had done. No, no, no. I'm just saying, just I'm, I'm just talking about the the, the darker gods in, in Greek history, like we talked about Ares or Athena, or, you know, or whatever. But so, some of these darker darker gods that that were representative of of bad things. Yeah, well, I don't think that Bacchus or Dionysus was necessarily representative of anything bad at all. He was really, a, I mean, Ares for sure. In right. fact, Ares was the least worshipped god. <laughs> like in terms of when you think of like Greek temples, like to to Zeus or Athena, you know, the Parthenon, the temples to Apollo, beautiful, huge temples. Ares, like people were not building temples to Ares. Uh, not a lot of them anyway. They weren't building temples to Hades, the god of the of the underworld. Uh, the underworld. Um, and it's not like he killed anybody. He was just this gloomy god and people didn't want to like honor him because they didn't want to be like, oh, it's great to be dead or anything. But Hades <laughs> didn't kill people. Um, there was a there was a lesser god, Thanatos, who was associated, I mean, you know, death, that's that's actually his name. Um, uh, so they didn't have the same sort of concepts of uh, crime and punishment in the afterlife. Uh, I mean, they had degrees of punishments. You can read about people like Sisyphus, you know, rolling the, the stone up the hill endlessly or Tantalus being tortured by not being able to reach food or drink. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the concept of punishment in the, in the afterlife was a developing one that changed over the centuries and was, you know, eventually separated into the island of the blessed mm -hmm. and the place where people are punished and all of that. But you're not really looking at some fiery brimstone, you know, Judeo-Christian uh, concept there. Um, and uh, so in terms of the darker gods, like Dionysus too was really sort of a nature god, like a fertility and nature god. And you you could maybe be thinking of something later like the great god Pan, who uh, in say, if you're thinking of like Arthur Macon's uh, short story, the great yeah. god where, where definitely Pan is an ominous and dark figure there, um, was not quite what was going on in, in the ancient world with Dionysus. It was sort of more like you would commune with Dionysus to get in touch with nature uh, and uh, free your spirit and reach a, a different level of uh, consciousness. Uh, so there, there were you know a bunch of rituals involved there, but uh, we're not talking human sacrifice or, or anything like that. So mm -hmm. that's uh, the the evidence for human sacrifice in ancient Greece is still really debated. I mean, there's there there is some or maybe not, you know, depending on how you interpret the evidence. Whole books have been written about this, <laughs> and I'm not going to come down on one side or the other of of that argument. There there are some descriptions, uh, like in, in like I, I think uh, in uh, the ancient epic cycle of. Uh, Trojan woman Polyx, Polyxena being sacrificed at uh, the tomb of, of, of Achilles, I, I think, or um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not remembering uh, the details of that one very well, but it's, it's rare. Um, and then on the other hand, you have these stories of let's leave a sacrifice out once a year for the monster so the monster won't ravage our town. Uh, and then there's the question of are those monsters based on some sort of, you know, awareness of, of serial mutilation murders. Oh, it's just a young virgin maiden, like every, at, at certain intervals, or, oh, it's a young man at certain intervals. Uh, but there's, there's uh, certainly there are ritual aspects to, you know, modern serial killings, but we don't want to necessarily say that every single story that talks about sacrificing a maiden or a young man at certain intervals was, was necessarily about serial killing. There are certainly uh, various, uh, landmarks that are celebrated, like we celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, uh, they did the same thing. Uh, so maybe these are uh, marking the foundation of the town uh, mm -hmm. or something. Maybe it's not really a human sacrifice. Maybe it's a fake sacrifice, <laughs> you know, uh, and, uh, you know, they pretend they go, go, go through some sort of a mime or a play and reenact a foundation myth and no one's really actually sacrificed. Um, so it's a little hard to sift through all that and, and uh, people are, you know, still working on it. Evidence still comes up occasionally. Um, yeah. One more last question for you. I asked this to all my business, um, client, or not clients, but people I do, you know, report, uh, reporter work for businesses. <laughs> You're standing on the uh, strip in Las Vegas. 
And there's a bunch of other historians standing out there too, and they all have books. What do you do to get people to read your book? <laughs> well, why am I in Las Vegas? <laughs> Did you Vacation. Why Las Vegas? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever set foot in Las Vegas, actually, <laughs> despite having grown up in Southern California. Um, is there a significance to the Las Vegas part? <laughs> Just lots of people walking by and you're trying to bring people in to read your people book. People walking by. Well, I, I really like the cover that you have flashed a few times and I very much appreciate it. But, um, you know, I, I don't, I mean, that's, it, it's, again, you ask these terrific questions I don't really have an answer for because I, um, this sort of self-promotion is actually kind of new to me. I mean, I, I have over the decades given various radio inter interviews here and there. Um, my, my first book was on uh, ancient ghost stories, and so I went through something similar there. But what I what I try to tell people, and I know we're short on time here, is that um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the field of classics, which is the study of the ancient Mediterranean world, basically. And we have this reputation of oh, ivory tower academics, blah, blah, blah. But what I'm trying to do is show that that's not the case, that so much of the material is relevant to modern life in ways that you wouldn't even necessarily think of. The haunted house, the chain rattling ghosts go back 2000 years, serial, serial mutilation murder. We have stories about that from 2000 years ago. So, uh, you know, so it, it's not just like, oh, uh, you know, this refined, you know, like let's read ancient epic and it's so lofty. It's like, there's like some really relevant things about everyday life that even 2000 years ago, we're still going on. And, and uh, does that help us understand why it's going on now, you know, oh. or how we're characterizing it or, or what does it say about the human condition or human nature? So that's not going to convince anybody in Las Vegas to buy my book, but it is, it is kind of what I like to say. We're relevant. We're still relevant. We're not just like reading random, like obscure texts. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, this hour went by really fast. It was great. I, I, I love history. I always have. I, humanities was my favorite. Oh, you I asked some it. terrific questions. So really, you know, and, um, I had a ball, and I'd like to get you on again to talk about ancient ghosts. I would oh, really that would be like if you want, yeah, if you have time closer to Halloween, I would love yes. to. Yes. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Can I've, got, I've, got a, I've actually got a picture in um, on my wall here, like of a ghost. Well, we'll set that up. I could definitely do that. But thank you so much. <laughs> How do people reach you? Oh, um, I, you know, I have um uh, an email. Um, I have a website. Do you want me to put this in the chat, and you can? Uh... Sure. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I work at a you know a state school. There's nothing uh, a large state university. There's nothing secret about uh, getting a hold of me. There's a there's a that's my email. There's a there's a website on the UMass Amherst Classics <laughs> Classics Department has all of our faculty profiles okay. on there. I do a lot with the the eerie and the weird. I edit a journal called Predator Nature, um, which publishes you know <laughs> articles on the weird and the, the eerie. Right. Um, yeah, so it's it's basically my my uh, my special area within the field. And how do people get your book? Oh, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. Um, the, the publisher, Texas University of Texas Press, has it. Um, but yeah, no, if if anybody, and it's honestly uh, the paperback version is not expensive. I don't make I don't make money off of this, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I probably get like I probably get like seven cents for every hundred dollars or something. <laughs> so you know even though the books are aimed towards a general audience it's still not uh it's not the sort of publishing contract that you find by popular authors it's it's an right. academic contract <laughs> and if i wanted money i'd have gone to law school instead of going into classics i <laughs> gotcha I yeah so it does, i don't get rich off of this i just uh, get the word out that there's a lot of interesting things going on in in the ancient literature that people don't don't necessarily know about Absolutely great. Well, thank you so much. And like I said, um, we'll start emailing back and forth and figure out an evening in October closer to, closer to Halloween so we can talk about ancient ghosts. Well, Charlotte, thanks again for having me. It's really been fun talking with you and you, you've asked some, some great questions. And well, thank you very much for being on. I appreciate it. It's always the point, yeah. All right. You have a good one. <laughs> you too. Thanks again. Okay, bye-bye. All righty. You know what was weird, and I don't know if it was an EVP or it was something on her end that came through, but a few minutes ago, a voice definitely came through, and I don't know if it was over, because we, we have an air show going on right now, so I don't know if it was an overlap on, on from a radio station or what, but it was really loud in my headphones. I don't know if you guys heard it. i got to go back and listen to it, because I don't know what the heck it was. So, okay, was it your end? Okay, so it wasn't her end. So something came through, and I don't know if it was an EVP. This house is, this house is actively haunted, so I mean... It could have been something from this end, especially this room. 
So I'll have to go back and find out what it was. You know, I know it wasn't a neighbor because it was just too clear, too, too clear. So I'm going to find out. But anyway, thank you for being, I want to thank her for being on again. And thank you guys for coming in. We don't usually do a Sunday show, but it was fun. It was fun to get up on a Sunday and do this. Tomorrow we're changing pace a little bit. We're going to be getting serious. I'm putting my journalist, my journalist hat on. We're going to be talking about abuse, sexual abuse, uh, you know, physical abuse, mental abuse. We're going to be talking about that with uh, Reverend Gene Heil. And he has a technique that he uses to help people get through abusive situations. In fact, he was abused when, when he was a child. So we're going to be talking with him. And that's going to be our usual time at 6.30 p.m. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with five of your enemies. We want to get the word out on the show. You know, we're like, I, like I keep telling you guys, we're building up. We're building up. We're building up. And um, since we're nonprofit, this show is done um, out of pocket. And I'm poor. Uh, this show is done out of pocket. So I pay for all the internet and everything fees on there. And if you feel it, if you feel in your heart that it's a good enough show, we want to keep guests coming, please donate at paypal.me at California Haunts. The other problem we have right now, too, is our YouTube channel. Oh, my gosh. The YouTube channel is crazy because we can't get a dedicated URL to our YouTube channel. So what we have to do is we need at least 100, 100 to 110 people to subscribe to the show. And then we can get a dedicated URL. Otherwise, you're not going to find us on YouTube. Okay, you can, you, you can search all you want. You can Google, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to find us. The best way to get to our YouTube channel is to go to our website at www.californiahauntsradio.com. Click on a video there. And if you go in there, you'll see a video on the front page. And then you can go up into our, archi our archives. And we have everything going back for the last two years. And click on one of those videos. That'll take you to YouTube. And then you can subscribe from there. So if you guys could do that, that would be great because we do want to get a dedicated YouTube URL. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming. I will see you tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. And I got to find out what that crazy voice was. Um, so here we go. Have a good one. I will see you tomorrow.